Okay, thank you very much, uh, uh, Stephen and Christine, uh, for that. Uh, so tonight really is our start of a short series on Paul's thoughts. So we've, we've three evenings uh, before the summer uh, starts proper, uh, and then uh, Steve uh, has promised another three evenings uh, after. <coughs> so uh, we're going to think about Paul's gospel, what Paul thought about Jesus Christ, what he thought about the Roman Empire, what he thought about women and leadership in the church, what he thought about Christian living, uh, and hopefully we'll get to answer um, some of your questions about Paul along the way, and maybe just find a little bit of encouragement and inspiration, which I'm sure uh, most of us could do with um, along the way. Uh, tonight, I think what we want to do is to lay a foundation for all of that and try to understand Paul as a man in the Mediterranean world in the first century. Very often when we come to read the Bible, we're hampered by the fact that we're 21st century people with 21st century mindsets, and we're trying to understand texts that were written a very long time ago. So it'll be helpful, I think, tonight to try and think about Paul, first of all, as an historic person. <clears throat> so to start with, I thought we'd do something a wee bit different. Uh, I'm going to get you to do a wee bit of work here at the, at the front end of this. Um, is anybody familiar with a SWOT analysis? Put up your hand if I can see. Okay, so those people who have worked in <coughs> business or in public sector organizations, you've been dragged off for away days and you've had to do SWOT analysis on your organization. For those of you who don't know what a SWOT analysis is, a SWOT analysis is a tool that's used in business when you're trying to get a handle on a company or an, or or an organization uh, to help you understand it. So who's going to tell me what SWOT stands for? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. There we go. So I thought tonight we might just try and use a 21st century business tool on a 1st century person and see where we get to. Uh, I thought it might be quite interesting for us to get into some smaller groups uh, and talk about this for a few minutes uh, and see what we come up with. Now, the, the thing about this is I want you to try and... Think, think about this as if you were a person in the first century. So you have to try and forget that you're a scientific, post-enlightenment, technology-savvy person from 2013 tonight. Um, you're a citizen of one of the Mediterranean um, cities in the middle of the first century. <clears throat> you're a Christian. Uh, in your group of six, two of you are slaves, uh, one is homeless, three are artisans who are just about making enough money to get by. Uh, some of you here are sick and you know that the odds are you're probably going to die because there are no doctors. So-called doctors are never able to help. Some of you have lost small children recently because of diarrhea or other diseases that you really don't know what they were. Some of you are just about recovering from a fire that swept through your neighborhood and burnt everything that you had. You lost everything. So that's the group of people that you are tonight uh, when you get into your group. In other words, you're a typical Christian house group from Paul's time. Now, you've got to imagine then further that you've met Paul or you've read some of his letters. Oh, no, actually... <clears throat> 
you've probably heard some of his letters because I forgot to mention you're all illiterate um, as well. So you've got, you're familiar maybe with his letters to Thessalonica or to Corinth, to Galatia, to Rome, or whatever. So let's, a, let's assume, big assumption, that some of these letters were circulating at this stage, which they probably weren't. But let's say that you know a little bit about uh, Paul. You've heard some of his letters read out. Think of yourself as a Christian uh, from a Jewish or a Gentile background, living in a polytheistic world ruled by Rome. So now that's a tall order. But see what you can do, and for 10 minutes, so you've got to be quick here, you can't afford to spend all your time on, on one of these, um, pen and paper was the thing that I meant to organize. Um, okay, let's see what we can do. Is, is there enough room on, on your little sheets? Um, could we organize enough pens to go around? thought I had everything organized, but... Um, could, could you try and get into groups of, of six? Share a pen if you, um, if you can. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yes, we're doing the, the SWOT analysis on Paul himself. So you're trying to think about what, what, from what you know of Paul, what you've heard about him, what are his strengths? What are his weaknesses from what you know of him? What are the opportunities that are facing uh, his ministry? What are the threats that he faces as a... As a as a person in this first century world. So that's, that's your job for the next 10 minutes. Okay, folks, I think we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pull together now and uh, we'll see what, um, what stuff you've come up with here. Um, um, so Paul's strengths, okay. What about this, this group here? No, no, just give me a couple. So, in fact, they kept giving independence and also uh, independent judgment and 
Well, of course, that was, that was being beneficial to, to, uh, to you as a Christian in the first century. He wasn't dependent on you, didn't, uh, didn't make demands, financial demands on you. He, he paid his own way. Next. Sorry. He was progressive. Okay, any slaves in the audience uh, agree with that? Okay, so you're, you're one of the slaves, so would you think he was progressive? Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that one under uh, perhaps weaknesses, shall we? Um, ne- okay, that's, that's all we take from your group. Um, good knowledge of the scriptures, we'll tie that into education and intellectual um, giant, um, uh, and that's something we'll come back to a bit later on, because uh, this, this Paul, as a reader of his people's scriptures, is, is extremely important for us to, to think about. Uh, next group. You're done on the strengths. Okay. Done on the strengths. Okay. Anybody want anybody with a burning strength they would like to add? Okay. Jolly good. Yes. That's uh, very nicely put. Okay. Weaknesses. Okay. Let's put this. Somebody's already mentioned the slavery one. Um, this group here. Any weaknesses? Where does he get his authority from? Who does he think he is? Um, he isn't one of the, the original 12. Doesn't originate in Jerusalem. Yep, okay. Yeah, good one. Single. Yeah, so um, what do he know about it? Yep, okay. Okay, hard to understand. Uh, and in fact, um, we have, do have a, a verse in, um, in Second Peter which um, refers to the letters of our beloved Paul, um, which he immediately says are hard to understand. <laughs> um, so uh, if the writer of First uh, Second Peter uh, had that problem, I think we might be excused a wee bit. Um, okay, any other weaknesses anybody want to? Sorry, he didn't like women. Okay. Um, okay, moving quickly on from this point. Um, anyone like to add another, any other weaknesses they'd like to add? There's, yeah, the thorn in the flesh, whatever that is, I'm not quite sure that it was physical, mental, adversaries. He was stubborn. He's stubborn and a bit abrasive. Yep, okay, that, that I think. Um, I mean, whenever in Galatians um, he says that, do you know what, these people who are troubling you, I wish they'd just go and castrate themselves. I mean, it's not really language you'd hear. You know, Steve, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect to hear that from Steve on a Sunday morning, would you? Well, maybe you, you might, you might. Dogmatic. Okay, running out of space here, so let's go on to uh, opportunities. Um, what, do you th- what do you think the opportunities facing Paul as a, as a first century uh, preacher were? That helped. Um, okay, yes, uh, he, yes he, was, he was well-educated. He, um, was, um, he came from Tarsus, which was a, a city that was sort of known as a second Athens, because um, the philosophy was very strong there. So he was, he was a man of, of, um, of a number of worlds, shall we say, the Jewish world, but he was at home in the, in the Greco-Roman world. And he knew the um, Greek and Roman philosophers. You read Romans 7 and all that talk about stuff I really want to do, I can't do, and what I shouldn't do or do. That's actually almost verbatim from things like uh, Ovid and, uh, and Aristotle. So he knew, and he writes deliberately to the Romans to, uh, to flag, to flag in, in language that they'll understand. Um, so yeah, his education gives him good opportunities. Anything else? Yes, okay. Um, 
but that is an important thing, and we'll, 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 um, we'll come on to that um, in a few minutes. Uh, the openness of this, this message, it isn't, hasn't got uh, closed boundaries to one particular people group. Um, that's, that's very important, actually. Um, and in terms of ge geographical opportunities, um, he wanted to, he, he spent most of his, his ministry, the time he was aged about, you know, 50, 55, um, uh, he spent most of his ministry in the eastern part of the Mediterranean. At that stage, at an age that would have been considered in those days an old man, he actually refers to himself as an old man in Philemon, um, at that stage he was considering going to Spain because the, the gospel hadn't been preached before. Uh, uh, so uh, quite remarkable in that uh, sense. What are the threats that face somebody like Paul? He was no diplomat. Yes, that, well, that, we'd probably want to put that in a weakness, wouldn't we? Anyone here have a threat? Okay, Jewish opponents. Um, yeah. Okay, so the Roman Empire. Um, we're we're going to come back and think about that in a subsequent week. Yes, okay, so travel was a was a problem. Um, the Roman Empire, you know, we sort of are, are back and think about the roads were good and, you know, they helped clear up the bandits and so on. But travel in those days was pretty perilous. Actually, all of life was pretty perilous, um, as you probably gathered from the description of, of you all as first century Christians. Um, people were living on the edge. You know, there was, there was a small percentage of people who had any sort of wealth. There was no sort of middle class as we would know it. People lived right on the edge. Everything they did was fraught with with danger, whether it was in their neighborhood, as the fire running through it, um, the, 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 the need for, for food, clean water, travel, all of these things were, were, uh, were difficult. So um, life in general, um, um, and as you said, him being shipwrecked, go ahead. Um, yes, and I think we're, we're sort of into this, this territory here again. Haven't heard much from this, this group here. Yes, yeah. Yes, so yes, and again, we think we're in this whole territory here um, of um, of the opposition from from other from other Jews, um, and and again, we'll we'll we'll, we'll see that um, in subsequent weeks as we come back. Um, the, the first century Christians, although we we get a very um, particularly when we read Acts, we get a very you know harmonious picture of what of what it was like. When you read Paul's letters, you realise actually um, there's a lot of conflict going on. There's a lot of uh, struggle, um, and, and, and Paul had a real uh, battle on his hands with, with, with his um, Torah-free gospel um, with other Jewish Christians who, um, who didn't see things quite that way. Um, yes, so the, the, his, his meeting with the risen Christ was... Uh, was uh, something that was very, very important for him. And, and, and he does mention that um, on quite a number of occasions, as we'll see. Um, uh, and it was important uh, for him to help establish his, his authority. So, go ahead. Um, I, I'm, sure that's, I'm sure that's right. Um, he, he clearly was a person of great focus, of great determination, of great vision, Often when you get people like that, they, they, can, be, they can be a little bit um, abrasive. They just want to get the job done, and they really don't want to let anything stand in their way. And, and yet at the same time, you read wonderful passages like 1 Corinthians 13, and it is just the most fabulous piece of literature um, and the, 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 the deep thoughts about what love are uh, and the compassion that comes out 
in a letter like Philippians to the uh, to the Christians there, um, give another side to Paul. But um, but yeah, I'm sure you're I'm sure you're right. Um, I want to just make a to talk for a, a few minutes here, just to to see you know what what do we make of this this uh, this person who did write such a, a proportion of our New Testaments? Did he invent a new religion? Did he take the simple religion of Jesus of Nazareth and make it into what we now know as Christianity? Was he fixated on a theoretical belief system as opposed to the more practical, loving, compassionate outlook of Jesus? Was he a heavenly-minded spiritual dreamer? Did he believe that people are predestined to go to heaven or hell? Did he think that we should obey the government no matter what? Was he, as has already been suggested, a misogynist? All these charges have been led at his door. And maybe, maybe some of us tonight are a wee bit like um, a young New Testament scholar called J.R. Daniel Kirk from Fuller in the U.S. Uh, he's recent, recently lit, written a book called Jesus I Have Loved But Paul is the title of the book. And in the book, he relates how he came to seminary with a very positive attitude to Jesus and his teachings, but really very negative uh, to Paul. And I've, I've talked to, to loads of uh, people who feel that way. As you say, he can be abrasive, he can seem hard-nosed, and he can be a bit hard to understand. On the other hand, for some people, Paul, and in particular a certain way of understanding Paul, is the be-all and end-all. In the church that I grew up in, Paul was the center of the New Testament, and everything else, including the Gospels and Jesus, was interpreted in relation to Paul. And nothing was so important as individual justification by faith. And for many people, that is still the center point of the New Testament and of the gospel. Uh, there's an influential American pastor and author who recently asked the question, did Jesus preach the gospel? Interesting question. And he went on to answer this question in the affirmative by trying to relate some of Jesus's teachings in the gospels to Paul's talk about justification by faith. That was the way in which he, he, he approached it. But the problem there is that the, the assumption is that justification by faith is the sum total of the gospel. And then, but if that's the case, we're left with a very perplexing collection of texts known as the gospels, which really actually don't contain very much of the gospel at all. So on both sides, whether you dislike Paul, whether you nail your colors to his mast, there's this disjunction between Jesus and the Gospels and the Gospel that we find in Paul's letters. And I think part of the problem is that most of us, um, whether we like it or not, when we come to Paul, we come to him with Reformation spectacles on. Uh, whether we're aware of that or not, the Reformers, of course, discovered in Paul important answers to the questions of their time against the background of a very oppressive Catholicism. Answers about finding a gracious God who offered salvation freely. These were very important questions uh, to ask, important insights to gain, and we lose those at our peril. But the Reformation reading of Paul is not the final word. Uh, Tom Wright says that for too long we have read Scripture with 19th century eyes and 16th century questions. And he says it's time to go back to reading with first century eyes to answer 21st century questions. And I uh, think I would uh, agree with that. 
Uh, and my own conviction is that it is possible to read Paul in such a way as to understand his vital connection to the teaching and mission of Jesus and to understand his gospel in such a way as to recognize that actually it's the same gospel that Jesus preached without having to jump through hoops and demonstrate that actually Jesus did really preach justification by faith. And it's possible to see how Paul skillfully and faithfully takes Jesus' gospel out into the world beyond Palestine and Judaism in a way that's open and inclusive. Actually, in such a way that all of us uh, tonight here are in his debt. So Paul wasn't somebody who invented a new religion. Uh, This seems to become, I think, something of a conspiracy theory, which, of course, we all really love. Um, It's very popularly believed. Um, Paul changed the simple message, the teaching of Jesus, makes it into a new religion. But it's, it's untrue. It bears no resemblance to what we actually find in the New Testament because a careful reading of the New Testament will tell us two things. First of all, that Jesus was a first century Jew who saw himself and his mission arising out of Jewish hopes based on their sacred scriptures. And this hope and Jesus' mission revolved around the idea of the arrival of Israel's God as king to transform the world. Second thing, then, we, uh, a careful reading of the New Testament tells us is that Paul also was a first century Jew who interpreted Jesus based on his reading of his biblical texts and who saw everything revolving around, yes, the arrival of God's kingdom. We'll see um, next week that Paul follows directly on from Jesus and the gospel he preached was basically the same gospel that Jesus preached. That's to get ahead of ourselves this stage. But when right at the outset, um, when we start thinking about Paul, we need to understand the the fundamental thing that links Jesus and Paul is their Jewishness. If we're ever to understand Paul, we have to understand him against the background of his native uh, Judaism. He was not an innovator, an inventor of a new religion, a hopeless mystic. He was a zealous first century Jew who was a very careful reader of his people's scriptures, what we call now the Hebrew, the the Old Testament, and which Stephen referred to uh, carefully as the the Hebrew Bible earlier. Uh, And and Paul was somebody who interpreted what was now happening in the world in the light of those scriptures. The first two Old Testament readings that we had tonight were from scriptures, were for, uh, scriptures that were very important to Paul. First from Genesis about God's promise to Abraham, extending to all the nations, and the second from Isaiah about Israel being a light to the nations. These and many other texts informed Paul's view of what God had done in the world through Christ. So he was a Jew. He, he had studied carefully his own traditions and the Old Testament. He had studied with a noted Pharisee in Jerusalem, And he remained a Jew throughout his life. Of course, he did have an utterly life-changing, dramatic encounter with Israel's Messiah, the risen Jesus. He tells us in Philippians that he was zealous in pursuit of his ancestral faith. And in the the, the piece that Christine read earlier, with regards to Jewish Torah, he was blameless. He gives us no sense in Philippians that he was frustrated in his attempts to be faithful to Yahweh by keeping the law. He wasn't 
you know, he didn't have Luther's angst. Um, he was successful as, uh, uh, with regard to the Jewish law. He was blameless. Throughout his life, he was utterly, unswervingly loyal to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who had made promises to Abraham, the God who graciously gave Torah to his people, and who spoke through the prophets. He didn't abandon Judaism and invent a new religion. What happened to Paul on the Damascus Road was that he met Israel's Messiah, the Christ, as our New Testament um, translates this word Messiah. And Paul realized that the covenant that God had made with his people had at last come to its fulfillment in the risen, uh, crucified and risen Jesus. So to understand the gospel that Paul preached, we really need to get inside Paul's Jewishness and ask what a Jew of the first century who saw his ancestral faith coming to a final fulfillment would have understood by this word gospel. And that's going to be the subject of next week. Um, so hopefully that's a wee taster for you to come back. Um, just say a little bit about what happened to him on the road to Damascus. Um, uh, some, he was born around the turn of the uh, millennium, obviously, uh, as I say, a, a devout practicing Orthodox uh, Jew. Um, but he was a persecutor of the church, as he tells us on a number of occasions, 1 Corinthians f- uh, 15, Galatians 1, Philippians 3. Um, he was um, zealous in his, um, his pursuit of the Christians. Uh, the word that he, he uses um, uh, in, in, um, uh, in Philippians 3, um, uh, sorry, in Galatians 1, is excessive. It was violent. Uh, he really, really wanted to destroy uh, this movement. Uh, he was given authority to go after these Jesus people in Damascus, bring them back under uh, arrest to uh, Jerusalem. He was ravaging the church, Acts tells us, breathed out threats and murder. Uh, he says himself, I locked up many of the saints in prison and voted for their execution. So no wonder he, 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 he looks back and he, and he mentions this. This weighs heavily on his mind um, years afterward what, what he actually did. Uh, uh, and you get that ferocity of, of attack in Galatians uh, 1. He tried to destroy uh, the church. Why did he do that? A number of answers. He object, objected violently to the claim that a crucified man could be proclaimed the Messiah. Because the Torah said... Anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Therefore, this man could not be the Messiah. He objected also to the devotion and worship that these people were giving uh, to this man, Jesus. Something that's bandied around um, quite um, often is that it took a long time for uh, the, the divinity of Jesus to be, uh, to be recognized and for Jesus to be worshipped uh, as God uh, in the first century, probably towards the end of the first century, is this developed because of various circumstances? Actually, when you, uh, the, the, you know, there's been a lot of research done on this recently, and, and the, the indications are that this uh, devotion to Jesus as divine was something that was present right from the start. Paul objected to that. Acts 6 tells us that the, the Hellenistic Christians in uh, Jerusalem um, were anti-temple. The temple was the center of Jewish life. Um, and it was the very thing that had tipped um, the, the problem of Jesus over the edge. Uh, and the Jewish authorities had to get rid of him because he was threatening the very center of their social, political, 
and religious life. These Hellenists were, were, were doing the same, and Paul couldn't have that. And he saw them as abusing, abandoning the Torah, the very center of his religion, as a scrupulous Pharisee. A word that crops up in both Luke and Paul is this word zeal. It's an interesting word because it's used in the Old Testament as a motif for referring to Yahweh's jealousy for his people. Yahweh insists that they, they're exclusive to him. They, they shouldn't worship any other gods. Uh, and ally to that then is a reciprocal thing for his people, that they should be zealous to Yahweh. In other words, they should be devoted to him. Uh, and, and so you get this, this, this thing, this strand in the Old Testament, a burning desire to maintain Israel's identity as a people set apart to God, often um, expressed violently to prevent any adulteration or compromise with Israel's distinctive holiness. And you can think of stories, uh, how that, you know, terrible, awful stories in the Old Testament, how that worked out, like Achan, for example, you know, and, and there's this you know, terrible, you know, slaughter, um, you know, because of a, a, a compromise that, uh, uh, of zeal for Yahweh. Um, this is the zeal that Paul has uh, for Yahweh. He saw these first Christians as a threat to Israel's set-apartness to God. His zeal for Torah was offended that its role as a bulwark against corruptions and defilements was being compromised. It was, he had a grim determination to maintain Israel's holiness by attacking those Jews who were beginning to breach Israel's boundaries of self-set-apartness. So what happened um, then for the last uh, few minutes? Oh, I'm behind myself. Sorry about that. What happened on the road to Damascus? We, we, this is mentioned again uh, uh, three times in Acts. Uh, Paul refers uh, to this, um, 1 Corinthians 9, 15, 2 Corinthians 4, Galatians 1, uh, Philippians 3. On the road, he sees a great light from heaven. The Lord Jesus appears to him. Uh, he was chosen to see the righteous one, says one text. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says he saw the face of Jesus the Messiah. Uh, and he was in no doubt, First uh, Corinthians 15, that he had seen, he was one of the ones who had actually seen the risen uh, Christ. The result of that was his life was changed. What did this encounter with the risen Jesus mean for uh, Saul, the zealous um, Pharisee? First of all, that God had raised Jesus from the dead. And therefore, despite the curse of the law, right? Everybody who hangs in a tree is, is cursed. Somehow God has vindicated this man. So actually, he was God's children. He was the Messiah. That meant that after all, he was God's son. He was the chosen one. He was God's king. That meant that the long-awaited day of Yahweh's kingdom had arrived and the day of forgiveness of sins, of restoration, God's gracious rule of shalom had arrived. All of that followed from meeting this risen Jesus. And when Paul went back to read his Old Testament, he probably didn't have to go back and read it because he just knew it so well. This was the good news that Isaiah had spoken about 
which needed to be proclaimed to the nations. And we read that a bit about that um, this evening. Paul saw very clearly the truth of Isaiah's prophecy that Israel was to be a light to the nations and the truth of God's promises to Abraham that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed and he saw that the Gentiles were to share in the good news that Israel's God was beginning to rule. He now realizes his calling, he says in Galatians, But when he had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Did that realization come at the moment of illumination on the Damascus Road or a bit later as he studied the scriptures? Well, we don't really know. I don't think that's too important. But his world turned around, not because he had found a new religion, but he discovered the next installment and the fulfillment of his own religion Judaism. This was dramatic stuff. It wasn't simply that his personal life was changed by Christ and all that struggling to keep the law was, was over. We don't get that sense at all from, from Paul. What happened on the road to Damascus was that Paul realized that God had decisively and dramatically entered human history in order to transform the world by bringing in his kingdom. The world for Paul now was in the process of being changed. All of human history, all of politics, all the kingdoms of the world, the Roman Empire, everything was about to be transformed by what God was doing in Christ. God had entered human history. The world is changing. And Paul, therefore, logically, the only thing that he can do, he's compelled to proclaim this message to everybody Jew and Gentile uh, alike. So the result, what is absolutely clear, is that Paul's experience in the Damascus Road triggered a massive and radical transformation of Saul's self-understanding. He radically changed his understanding of what God required of him, his understanding of his ancestral faith, and his understanding of the goals that he now had to uh, pursue. I think that we'll finish um, there uh, tonight. Hopefully that um, our thinking together and uh, some of the, the things I've said will help just um, uh, sort of, you know, plant us firmly in the, in the first century to give us an, an, an idea of, of how we, we spring forward to start reading Paul uh, with this uh, sort of background uh, in mind. And we'll see where that takes us in subsequent weeks. Let's say a prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for being with us this evening. We thank you that you're going to be with us during this week, which we commit to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.